They are known as the 40 Martyrs of Sebast. As Leighton Ford tells their story, in Rome's imperial army, there were 40 soldiers who professed their faith in Jesus Christ. One day, their captain informed them that Emperor Licinius had sent out an edict commanding all soldiers to offer a sacrifice to pagan gods. These Christian warriors said, you can have our armor and even our bodies, but our heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. Because of their stance, they were marched onto a frozen lake in midwinter of 320 A.D., and stripped of their clothes. At any time, they had the choice to be able to renounce Jesus Christ, at which time they could leave the middle of that lake and put on their clothes clothes and be fine. They didn't. They huddled close together and sang their song of victory, 40 Martyrs for Christ. That freezing night saw 39 men fall to their icy grave. When there was just one man left, he stumbled to the shore and renounced Christ. The officer in charge of guarding these men secretly had come to believe in Christ. So he replaced the man who had broken rank and went out onto the ice. He threw off his clothes, and confessed his faith in Jesus Christ. And at sunrise, the Roman soldiers found 40 loyal subjects of Christ the King in the middle of the lake. Now, this was an either-or world, just like that of the recipients of John's vision, which we call Revelation. Either you pledged your allegiance to Rome's Caesar or you pledged your allegiance to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this either or world, I think, is difficult for we American Christians to really comprehend. At the immigration office in Los Angeles, when immigrants arrive For the oath of allegiance ceremony to become citizens of the U.S., they are given small American flags imprinted made in Korea. We haphazardly cast multiple allegiances to our government and to others, to our culture, to our family, to our work, and when it's convenient, to Jesus Christ. It's not an either-or world for us. Now, this book, Revelation, is John's visionary trick from the persecution of his present day into a future of freedom. John's book almost didn't make it into the New Testament because it didn't meet all the criteria that had been set for the writings that would be going into the canon, C-A-N-O-N, that's the collection of scriptures. But revelation is what the people needed to hear. That God was not just God of the past 
and God of the difficult present, but God held their future as well. John begins, grace to you and peace. Think about their situation. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Though your present times are difficult and painful, though suffering is rampant, Jesus Christ still is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Though chaos appears to reign when we look out the window, on a broader cosmic level, Jesus Christ still is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now he continues, Jesus made us believers, that's still us today, to be a kingdom. We are a kingdom priests serving his God and Father. Well, that's kind of scary for me. How do you feel when you think about being a servant in the court of the Almighty King? Are you scared, pleased, overwhelmed, ashamed, proud? Do you like it? Would you prefer to be working for someone else? Do you sometimes find yourself as a secret agent allying yourself with Jesus Christ publicly, but secretly working for your own pleasure or the pleasure of others? Who is our true leader? To me, that's probably the, one of the most important questions that this passage asks. Who is our true leader and where is our true loyalty? Chuck Colson of Prison Fellowship writes in Breakpoint, I still remember my sadness on hearing that an old friend and someone I believed was a sincere Christian was leaving his wife of many years. I was shocked and disappointed. I wondered how could this man, committed to both his spouse and his Lord, fall in love with another woman? And he continues, an essay by the late Sheldon Van Auken helps answer the question and reminds us that such temptations are all too common. Van Auken had written a a collection of essays called Under the Mercy. And in one called The Loves, Van Auken describes how a Christian friend of his named John shocked him by announcing that he was leaving his wife to marry another woman. And John explained his sudden change of heart by saying, It seemed so good, so right. That's when we knew we had to get the divorces. We belonged together. In that same essay, he describes another conversation with a friend named Diana who left her husband for another man. She defended herself with virtually the same words. It was just so good and right with Roger that I knew it would be wrong to go on with Paul. Van Auken explains, both John and Diana were invoking a higher law, a law of the feeling of goodness and rightness, a feeling so powerful that it swept away whatever guilt they would otherwise have felt 
for what they were doing to their families. At one time, this John and this Diana had each pledged their allegiance to their spouses, but that had changed. So now, to whom were they pledging allegiance? To new partners? Yes. To themselves? To the God of feelings? Is that the same God who had heard their solemn vows at their wedding ceremonies? Our society and maybe just our humanity often causes us to be tempted to betray our allegiances, especially our allegiance to God. So it is to us, too, that John of Patmos writes that God is ruler of the kings of the earth and that we are God's priests. We are servants with the responsibility to translate to others the will of the sovereign God. This week's theme in our transformation journal is Jesus and women. The way the journal works is we receive about three scripture passages to read each day, and then we write a response to the question or two that is posed to us. Some of the questions this week encouraged us to think about how we perceive differences between men and women and what effect that then has on the way we treat people. For a long time, I thought the only differences between men and women were anatomical. And then I got married. Some of you have gotten married, maybe experienced the same thing. Men and women do have differences, many stereotypical, but thankfully that's not much of an issue at Calvary Baptist Church. The United Methodist Church is celebrating 50 years of ordaining women, but Baptists aren't that far behind. Calvary began ordaining women as deacons, not just deaconesses, but having the same rights and privileges as the men, about 30 years ago. And many Baptist churches have yet to struggle with that issue. Jesus encouraged us to be just to all people, to treat all people equally and fairly, just as we would like to be treated. So when we are told that we are priests serving Jesus, God and Father, we make no distinction. In Galatians, it says between slave and free. Well, we're past that. No distinction between Jew and Gentile. Well, that doesn't really apply to us either. No distinction between male and female. And yet we do make distinctions. But Jesus calls us not to. We make no distinction then between male and female. We make no distinction between young and old Mark just had a birthday this week. (laughs) We make no distinction between laity and clergy. Now, this robe 
This stole distinguishes me from you. We are all priests. It may be helpful for us to think of it more as God as CEO and we as the vice presidents. That's more of a model we can understand since we don't have a monarchy here in the United States. And yet I bring in the monarchy when I officiate at weddings. During the exchange of rings, I point out that the ring is a traditional symbol of authority. That a king would use it and give it to his trusted advisor or ambassador to go and represent that king somewhere else. So we bind, they, they bound their identity together. They were responsible to each other. Now, we all have been responsible to someone, a boss, a partner, a parent, a child, a pet. And we all have people who responded or who were responsible to us, perhaps the same. We've been leaders of co-workers, of partners, parents, children, pets. And we have different styles of leadership. One time I asked the executive director of the Virginia Baptist Mission Board in what area he did most of his reading, and his response was leadership. I sort of expected it to be, you know, Bible studies or missions or something like that, but he was leading dozens of people, and through them being a resource to hundreds of thousands of people across the state and really across the world. So leadership. And there are numerous styles of leadership. Some might might name them as collaborative or authoritarian or compromising or any number of other titles. And then there's also approach to leadership that's within the family systems model. And to me, it's a call for authenticity. In other words, if I can throw off other people's unnecessary expectations of me and work to become the best Donna that I can be, then that will help and enable you to become the best you that you can be. So does that make me responsible only to myself? I don't think so. My attempt is to be responsible to God, the one who created me to be as I am, as I was, and as I will be. And the comfort for me is that the God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, will be leading me. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is the ruler of rulers, king of kings, leader of leaders. Gladys DeLong told me this morning that she had had a conversation with another minister in town who, um, I don't know if impressed was the right word, but was uh, maybe proud of, of, of me for following 
Harry Gamble at Calvary Baptist Church because he knew of the legend. He, he knew Harry and he knew his legend here and his, his power and his connection to the congregation. And as I was thinking about that later, I thought, you know, I don't recall making my decision based on that. <laughs> I'm sure I didn't. I feel like I made my decision based on what my leader was telling me to do. I, I didn't really have, I didn't feel like I had a choice. That God had set this opportunity before me to become your pastor and to be faithful to God, I had to say yes. And I'm thankful you did too. God is our leader. The late Henry Nouwen, a Roman Catholic priest, also a professor and best-selling author, he's written over 40 books, was moved by his church leaders from teaching at Ivy League schools to a community for the mentally and physically disabled in Toronto called Larsh, the Arch. He recalls his first days there with these thoughts. The first thing that struck me when I came to live in a house with mentally handicapped people was that their liking or disliking me had absolutely nothing to do with any of the many useful things I had done until then. Since nobody could read my books, they could not impress anyone. And since most of them never went to school, my 20 years at Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard did not provide a significant introduction. My considerable ecumenical experience proved even less valuable. Not being able to use any of the skills that had proved so practical in the past was a real source of anxiety. In a way, it seemed as though I was starting my life all over again. In the same way, when we enter the kingdom of God, all our achievements won't matter. What God cares about is who we are. Do we have faith in God? To whom are you responsible? Society? Family? Self? Paycheck? To whom are you ultimately responsible. It's a worthwhile daily question. To whom will I be responsible today? Let's pray. God of eternity and God of this present moment, we pray that you would help us to start to live our lives all over again this morning. 
Let the past be behind us. Let the present and the future be devoted to you. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.